Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Delete. This is episode number 80, which is quite a lot of episodes now, but I am in no shortage of amazing guests. I have so many more coming up, so stay tuned. So today's guest is Sally Hughes. Sally is someone I've been following for a long time, especially her columns about beauty and most recently her amazing writing for The Pool. She's an author, a broadcaster, a Guardian columnist and the founder of the award-winning SallyHughesBeauty.com. She's a former magazine editor. She's written extensively for Grazia, The Observer, Elle, Stylist, Marie Claire, Glamour and a contributing editor at Red. I've left off loads and loads of other magazines there. She's literally written for everyone and she also writes a column for the guardian about beauty which she has had for many years she has appeared frequently on things like bbc radio 4's the woman's hour sky news Newsnight, this morning and lorraine her amazing youtube series of interviews called in the bathroom with have won two major beauty awards in 2014 she interviews amazing women about what beauty products are in their bathrooms and it's just one of my favorite things to watch on youtube sally's first book it's called Pretty Honest, which was published in 2014 by HarperCollins, Fourth Estate. And her second book is called Pretty Iconic, a personal look at the beauty products that have changed the world. Both are brilliant books and I totally recommend you grab a copy. In this episode, we talk about beauty and self-care, keeping your integrity, how your career is in fact really long, so don't be a dick, and how to cope when social media can feel very overwhelming at times. I really enjoyed this episode. I was so looking forward to talking to Sally. She's very straight talking, but also lovely and really cool. So I hope you enjoy it. So excited to be with Sally Hughes, someone who I've been wanting to get on the podcast for ages. So I took the plunge and emailed you. This is the thing, isn't it? You should always ask because people will probably just say yes. Always. I'm guilty of this as well. You just think, oh, they'll never do it. And then yeah. they go, yeah. Exactly. So I have been following your work for years. Have you? Um, Thank you. Just everything that you do, I guess, no bullshit beauty talk. Mm-hmm. But also no bullshit in general. I feel like yeah. you, you really do speak the truth. How have you maintained that trust in the industry for so long? It, it's actually really, really easy it really is easy. It's easy because all you have to do is think the wrong decision would cost you and then it becomes incredibly easy. And so there are times when there have been many, many times where I've sort of been offered loads and loads of money to say, I like something that I don't really like it. I mean, not in The Guardian. Nobody ever tries to bribe their way into The Guardian column because they know what it's like and journalism is slightly different. But online, I've been offered lots and lots of money to say things um, that say I love things when I don't. And I just don't see that money as real. I just sort of see it as floating in the air and it's up Mm. to me as to whether I grab it or not. And if grabbing it will ultimately cost me money, respect, reputation then it's not enough money. Do you know what I mean? There is no amount of money. I love my job too much. And so it's actually really easy to make the right decision when you know the wrong decision would be disastrous. And I think it would be. It's so true. There's lots of like quick bucks going around for like Instagram post here, yeah. blog post here. And I've, I I can count on, I think, one hand the amount of brands I work with. Obviously, I'm not in the beauty or fashion industry. Yeah. 
you know, these long-term partnerships, like long-term relationships with brands, have you always thought that way? Like, I want to work with someone for years rather than just a one-off event, for example? No, it depends what it is. With events, I tend to be governed by whether I'm interested in doing it or not. So sometimes I'll do events for very little money because I just really want to interview that person. Um, Sometimes I'll obviously do them for more money, but I have to, the baseline is I have to be really interested in doing them. So I turn down lots of events where I just think, oh, that doesn't sound remotely fun. Mm. Um, But sometimes those events can just be a one-off and that's fine with me. Um, They don't necessarily need to be a long-term relationship. And then other times I take on sponsored posts, mainly to keep my forum running. So we we have a large forum. Um, It doesn't make any money. It gets paid for by sponsored posts. But the point is, I clearly declare them. I don't have any problem with people working commercially with brands, none whatsoever. I think bloggers have every right to make a living. I don't know why they're expected to do what they do for free when the rest of the media doesn't. I think it's perfectly reasonable. However, you have to be clear and you have to disclose and you have to um, credit your viewers, readers, followers with some intelligence. Yeah, for sure. Because you've got a page on your blog, uh, on your website as well, with like a big sort of, this is what I... Yeah. And that's really great. I I mean, I I don't really see that a lot. But then maybe... um, the guidelines as well you can't get away with not saying ad now i don't think can you well i think people still do personally mm. but no it's not something it's i would to ever tell do sometimes. yeah it's not something i would ever do and i think you know lots of um influencers it's such a terrible word isn't it but lots of influencers are really rigorous in that and they and they absolutely do what they're meant to do but i do think plenty don't yeah can only keep your side of the street clean though do you know what i mean yeah. i can't for do sure. any more than that. It would be easy to fall into the trap, I think, especially if you're sort of a really young blogger. Yes, I think, I, exactly. I think if you haven't been around the block for a while, I think it must be very tempting. And also, I think that if you have a following because of, say, your personality rather than a skill, a talent, experience, expertise or whatever, then I think it's probably quite easy to see your career as an ephemeral thing and you need to make as much money as you possibly can then get the hell out, which I completely understand. Um, But I've been a journalist for over 20 years and I don't, that's the most important thing to me. And I would never jeopardise that. And so that always comes first for me before any other consideration. And so with that in mind, it's quite easy to, you know, to just do it right. Yeah. I I saw this uh, quote on Instagram the other day, actually. It was like someone had just put up, remember your career is long. Mm. And I just thought, oh, my God, I need a... Sometimes you need that reminder because, A, you know, it's not a rat race. and, And B, I think... It's something like we're not going to get our pension or retirement or whatever mm. until like, much older than maybe our parents. It's crazy. And also, you will work with everyone again. That's the other thing people forget. Just don't be an asshole. Because people change jobs as well. Exactly. <laughs> they work for different companies. I mean, this industry, and when I say this industry, I don't mean beauty. I don't just mean fashion. I don't just mean blogging. I mean all of the media and communications. You just see people repeatedly people there are people who commissioned me now who were my interns you know there so many relationships like that and I just think well thank god I was nice to you 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 have to just not be a dick because you will come across people again and you may well need their help yeah because with your book um your second book yeah I love them both thank you. but the pretty iconic yeah obviously that's celebrating lots of different brands that mm. are truly iconic to women and just in the in the world. Was it a reminder that you know so many brands now or, or the people that work there? 
Yeah. Is it quite easy to research just because you no. know you know so many people? <laughs> no, it was a bloody nightmare, and brands were not very helpful. Really, they really weren't, and I was they must quite have been so surprised. happy to be in that book. No, I was quite surprised. Um, when I came to research it, I just thought, God, well, who wouldn't want to be in a book shot beautifully and described as iconic? But actually, they couldn't really be bothered a lot of the time. It's not mm. that they were hostile. And it's certainly not that the relationships I had failed me, but there was just a sort of lack of enthusiasm by lots of brands for being in the book. And I was quite shocked by it. I mean, I would say that in the whole book, I would say less than 5% came from research direct with brands. Mm. I would say 95% of it was just stuff that I either knew or researched myself. It was really disappointing. It went on for months. We asked all the brands, so my assistant, Lauren, emailed all the brands in um, I think it was January 2016 asking for data various bits of data and in June we were still nagging people to get back to us it was really really difficult that really shocks me because yeah. it's I know it's a book that obviously is is for now and it sold really well and it's it's brilliant but it feels like a real book that is going to live on well yeah as an iconic book itself yeah and it's you know it has a book inherently has permanence and you know there was one brand that said to me um i chose two of their products for consideration this they were on the long list i chose two of their products and they said um oh we're not gonna be able to help you with that because those two products aren't a focus for us right now and i thought that was really interesting and i had to point out to them that firstly i wasn't asking permission they were going in whether they liked it or not or, or whether i liked it or not um they would go in but secondly a book is forever it yeah. is not a blog post or it's not um, a newspaper page or a magazine page. It is forever. And the point of that book was that it was a curated collection of forever products. Yeah. And um, they just didn't get it at all. Because someone you... might pick it up in like 2026. Right. And But, you know, I didn't really mind because... Um, I mean, I minded at the time, I was fed up at the time, and it was a really hard book to put together. But actually, in hindsight, I'm quite pleased because brand involvement was so minimal. And I, I, I wrote about those brands in exactly how I wanted to. There was no skew at all. Um, I liked that it was its own island and really it was about women and it was about the products. It wasn't about corporate strategy. It wasn't about branding. It was really about the relationship that women have with everyday yeah. products and toiletries. And that's what it was meant to be. And so I quite like that they didn't want to get involved. Because that sums I up. I mean, they did afterwards. <laughs> they I all bet. Instagrammed their special page afterwards, but at the time they couldn't have been less helpful. Lots of them. Some of them really were. I think Estee Lauder companies were very helpful. There were, you know, there were a few brands that really went out of their way. But on the whole, Chanel were very helpful, but but mostly people were not helpful. Mm. Did I read somewhere that as well a few brands that weren't on the list kind of contacted you to be like, can we be in it? Yes, and. Um, one brand, one agency, I should say, on behalf of a brand contacted my assistant and asked how much it would cost mm -hmm. for me to put them in the book. I guess it's the same as your website. It's kind of, it's always, always just something that you really want to write about. Otherwise yeah. it's out. Yeah, because it's got my name on it. You know, it's my name above the door or my name on the cover. I just... No, and I take people's money really seriously. So, you know, I think what what people forget sometimes is that 
Yeah, I think they're so sort of jaded by the product that comes their way or the product they send out. They forget that actually 20 quid for lipstick is tons of money. Mm -hmm. And for lots of women, that's a babysitter so that them and their husband can go out. And you have to really be responsible about the money they're potentially spending on the back of your recommendation. And so on that basis, I would never recommend something I didn't like because I think, well, what if they buy it and hate it and blame mm -hmm. me when they could have actually bought themselves a nice top? Yeah, definitely. Well, another thing I absolutely love about everything that you do is kind of the way that you straddle kind of obviously you've written for the guardian and you worked in print kind of years and years yeah. before that as well but then you also have an incredible website where you commission writers and mm -hmm. that very much runs i love reading that obviously love when it's written by you but it's also nice when you yeah, get other people on there and also you've done beauty on youtube before before it was a thing really mm. did you always want to do that kind of make sure that you were doing your own stuff on your own platforms versus places like the guardian so what happened with youtube is when um i was offered the column at the guardian they asked me to make to write six sample columns and make one video so I did that. I'd never made a video before. I did lots and lots of radio, so I wasn't that scared of it, but I made this one video. They gave me the job, and then I used to do a video to go with every column. And I did that, and that was before YouTube was that massive, or YouTube was just really taking off, I suppose. And I did that for The Guardian for maybe two years. And then... I had an idea that I wanted to do the in the bathroom with videos and I didn't want to give that to anyone else I wanted to keep it for myself and uh, around about the same time the Guardian just didn't want videos anymore and so I just I mean those things all kind of collided and I ended up just doing videos on my own it's such a good idea because people's bathrooms are so much about the person completely I was in um, I got the idea for in the bathroom because I was in a uh, club one uh, private members club one afternoon and I was in the loo and I was just washing my hands and I heard these two women have this incredibly intimate conversation about one of their relationships with a man and they were speaking so candidly and openly and then a few weeks later I was in a restaurant in Manchester and again I went to the loo and I heard a woman really complaining about her mum to her friend and I just thought you know women in loos yeah. are really really open and they're really candid and it feels like a safe space it feels like a very private female space where women can talk really freely and then I also thought about the fact that whenever I go to a party I always open the bathroom cabinet Mm. I do because I just I just love seeing what's in people's bathroom cabinets. Yeah. I figure if it's something mega private, they'll have moved it away before they have a big party. Yeah. But like I will look in the shower and see what shampoo they use. And so those two things combine together. And I thought I think actually I'd like to make these films. That's so true. And so I didn't know if anybody'd be up for it. So I made Catelyn Moran do the first one because she's one of my best friends and I knew she wouldn't refuse. And then it just kind of took off. It makes me laugh. I watched that one. It's so good because. She's obviously said she buys anything that you recommend, like mm. everyone else, uh, goes out and immediately buys it. But then it was almost, it was really funny kind of you giving her advice as well because she's kind of like, oh, I just slap it on with my fingers. Mm. But some beauty writers I feel, I feel quite intimidated by because I'm like, I don't right. know if I can enter that because I'm not very good at makeup. Whereas I think you're very welcoming to anyone who wants to try it, do something really crazy. Or just get a good moisturiser. I think this is the thing, and I suppose if I had any kind of mission, it was to stop 
beauty being this sort of club that you had to be beautiful, rich, thin and talented and, you know, adept with makeup to join because all women want to look nicer. All people want to look nicer. And most women wear makeup. I don't give a damn if they don't. That's perfectly fine with me. But most do want to wear makeup and lots have questions and want to feel part of it. And I just couldn't understand why there didn't seem to be anything for them. There seemed to be either this assumed expertise in women's glossies that sort of assumed you knew when a serum went on, assumed you knew what peptides were or retinols were or whatever, or there was this very, very sort of patronising shallow sort of beauty coverage that, that that was mindless and I thought actually all the girls I know are clever all the girls I know want to look nice why is there nothing for them yeah because because I don't think there is enough of what you do which is like you tie in lifestyle and emotion and all of this stuff with beauty like for example that piece you wrote about a friend of yours. Oh, Kerry. Was it she's in hospital? Makeup is not just makeup. It's absolutely not. And and Kerry, um, who's no longer with us, um, she she was the reason that I wrote Pretty Honest. She was the inspiration behind Pretty Honest because she had had um she had osteosarcoma and when it first came along, uh it was in her leg and the doctors said to her you, um, we're going to put you under and then we're almost certainly going to have to amputate your leg. And she told me this. She said she was going in and she was going to have her leg amputated and, of course, we were all gravely worried and so on. And a couple of days after her operation, she messaged me and said, um, oh, it was so mad. They told me they were almost certainly going to amputate my leg and they explained to me that uh, when I woke up, I would still be able to feel my leg and how awful that would be and they would work on physio and so on and gradually get rid of the sensation of having a leg but to be prepared for it that when I wake up I'll still feel the leg even though it won't be there. And so she came out of theatre, she came to and didn't want to look, was so sort of scared of looking and the consultant came round and said, have you looked? And she said, no and he said we saved your leg you've still got the leg and I said I said to Carrie what on earth how like what on earth do you do when you go to sleep thinking you're going to wake up without a leg and then you wake up and your leg's still there and she said I painted my toenails and I just I completely understood I completely understood what she meant and I think most women would understand what that meant. My body, my leg, I'm going to do what I want with it. I'm going to make it pretty. I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to heap love and care and respect on it by painstakingly painting my toenails. I just understood it. And for me, it completely summed up why beauty is so much more than someone contouring their nose away on Instagram. It is such an emotional thing. It is so key to how we feel about ourselves, how we express ourselves, how we deal with life. And I just thought, well, it's it's a book. Why has nobody written that book? Yeah. And and that's why I wrote Pretty Honest, and it's dedicated to her. You it's know. an amazing story. She took eight lipsticks into hospital with her, and again, I just understood. Totally. 
But in, until I read that, I hadn't made that connection, actually. I, I knew that beauty was really important to confidence and to feeling like yourself and to self-expression, but I didn't quite make that connection between, like, when I put a face mask on at night, mm. like a kind of, you know, like the wet mask ones where you're just like, oh, I'm so relaxed. That is actually like a moment that you're taking for yourself. Yeah. It's a mental thing. Yeah. It's not really about the face mask. Yeah. Really. It's about it's that true. half an hour. And and lots lots of women putting on their makeup in the morning is literally the only ten minutes they have that are spent on themselves all that day. Now, you can argue and many people do at me, oh well that time would be better spent reading a book or working for charity or doing whatever it is, which is so unbelievably patronising what business is it of anybody's if in those 10 minutes a woman is taking care of herself in the way that she chooses then I think that's a positive thing and some makeup is really functional you know I might put well I do put lip liner on because my lips a bit lower on one side and I want to correct it okay well that's a very straightforward thing but so much of it is who am I today who do I want to project today? What do I want to project today? And how do I feel? How do I want to express myself? How do I want to look after myself, treat myself? All of these things are important. And people who dismiss it as nothing have such a fundamental misunderstanding of what makes human beings, even mammals, tick. It's, mm. such, it's such an important thing for many of us. And if it's not important to you, that is so fine. Yes. I don't care. I really don't need people to wear makeup against their will. But likewise, I'm so sick of people going on about oh well she's a natural beauty she doesn't need to wear makeup well hooray hooray yes, for yeah. her that is not just the only thing that it's about for the rest of us you know yeah. it matters and it's not you can change your mind on a daily basis like you say of you course. Know, it's just however you feel of course but I was going to ask as well because I I really admire how you stand up for things but also kind of know when you want to take a step back I read well I've read everything you've written for the pool pretty much but you know you have nearly a hundred thousand followers on twitter mm. obviously you know there's a lot going on on there how do you maintain your own like sanity sometimes God. um that's a really good question um i have certain rules on twitter i tend um to not um slag off other women um the only exception i would make is if somebody is so unapologetically and outwardly vile, like, say, Katie Hopkins. Mm. But I would never be the, oh, what's she wearing? I'd, or, I'm not that person. I don't want to be involved in that. And that goes for TV and radio work as well. I'm frequently asked to go on telly and say, oh, look how much fake tan she's wearing. Not interested, mm. not helpful, not helpful. And so I don't do that. Um, I am very quick to mute people because I think blocking people gives them a boner. <laughs> um, and so I mute people a lot so they can just shout at me into the abyss. They never come up ever, do they? No. They just disappear. Yeah, yeah. which is lovely. And they have no idea, so they can, can yeah. be going nuts. I've, I've definitely done things, many things on social media that I regret. I think we probably all have, but I'm... I'm I'm a lot more guarded and self-aware than in the golden days of Twitter when it started and you kind of felt you were in a little gang. There was a bit of a nostalgia for those early days. I I think I I didn't I didn't join as early as everyone else really, but is it in Catelyn Moran's How to Be a Woman book? In her acknowledgements, she's got like the women of Twitter. Yeah. And obviously you're in there and loads of amazing people and it felt it was tiny. Then, maybe? It was tiny. Yeah, I remember very clearly getting my hundredth follower. So oh my clearly. God. 
and thinking, ooh, this is mad, I've got 100 followers. <laughs> and it was very um, uh, unplugged. I mean, it was just everybody spoke freely as though they were in a gang of friends. And, and I think probably most of us said things that they maybe regret and, and lessons were learned. I was quite mean about someone on the telly. Um, I sort of slagged off a TV presenter and I would never do that now because she'd done nothing wrong, she'd done nothing mean and she ultimately saw it and I hurt her feelings but in those days you just didn't realise that you had a reach, you just thought you were chatting to your friends and so it has been a learning experience and I am a lot more careful about what I say but that said... What I have done from the very first day and what I never stopped doing, which I think has massively helped the kind of work I do, is that I've never um, towed a corporate line, I've never avoided swearing, I've never presented a false sense of myself, I've always been myself and, and the brilliant thing about that is, is that I've never had moments where I've thought, oh my God, I just did a swear word, everyone's going to shout at me or no one's going to want to work with me. And I think lots of people do have that difficulty in a corporate world, but because I never did it, yeah. I'm not being expected to do it now. And so when brands want to work with you, they want to work with all of you. like it, even if, Exactly, yeah. exactly. I know that some brands don't want to work with certain people because they said they were voting a certain way or because they swore or whatever but I come sort of fully formed everybody knows I'm left wing everybody knows that I swear a lot it, you know everybody knows those things about me and so you can't really put the genie back in the bottle so it kind of yeah. works and people love it <laughs> but I hope so. your column for the pool is incredibly honest and very much about you you as a person like the I read recently the one where well, you're getting married again every single thing you write for the pool just goes mental on Facebook Aww. shares like thousands and thousands of shares every time do you do that because you really enjoy writing from the heart oh there, there are lots of things at play there um firstly um sam baker who um, co-founded the pool with lauren laverne first of all sam and lauren are two very close friends of mine and so i trust them completely sam baker was my editor at red magazine for many many years and she always does the right thing. She's an absolute dude, so I trust her. So I write things for her that I wouldn't necessarily write for other people. That's really interesting, so it's the platform that really matters. The platform yeah. does really matter, so she doesn't change my work, first of all. She leaves it as it is. Plus, there are no comments on the pool. If there were comments on the pool, I wouldn't write the way I do. Um, so there's that. Also, um, I... It's, a, it's sort of a trick, first-person writing. It's not dishonest. There's nothing that goes in my pool column that isn't true. But the trick is that you write it in such a way that you make the reader feel that they see everything, but actually you retain an awful lot of yourself. You're in control. You're in control. And I read sort of very confessional things in say the Daily Mail or in women's magazines and I read them and think I would never ever share that kind of information and I don't but the way I write the pool column makes it feel as though I'm telling you everything because I want that intimacy and I want people to have um, the experience of going me too that's mm -hmm. how I feel because I think that intimacy is important. But it's not all of me. You don't hear me talking specifically about my sex life. You don't hear me telling stories of people um, where it's not my story to tell. Mm. Um, I don't break confidences. I don't um, 
talk about my children in a way that will embarrass them when they're older or that will embarrass them if their friends Google them. I'm actually really, really careful. And if it doesn't come across like that, I'm glad. Yeah. I want it to come across like that, but actually I don't give that much away. There's something really empowering about that because you're telling a story that you want to be read and at the same time so many people are relating to it because do you hook your columns off something that's really timely or in the news it feels like every time you write something I'm like oh that's something I was thinking about it's a bit of both um so I would say probably 50% of my columns are hooked in current affairs so I might uh so a really big column for me last year that went viral were um columns were um, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard story which I wrote about the week it broke, the last tango in Paris story which I wrote about the week it broke so I would say a good half of the time it's things that are actually happening in the news that I want to write about or there might be something about the women's march or Trump or whatever and then the other half are quite um, emotional universal themes that aren't time sensitive so how women might be feeling about relationships or maybe longer term lifestyle trends relationship trends and so on um, or sometimes just something that's on my mind the high street women's clothing thing that I wrote last week that did really really well that wasn't in the news at all mm. I had been out drinking with some friends I'd been at India's house actually I'd been at India's house the weekend we were all just moaning about clothes and I just thought I'm always moaning about clothes I'm just going to write it mm. so sometimes it'll just come Maybe out of that between friends the best inspiration is a girl's lunch always yes. I always come away with loads of columns because you write so openly, I'm sure a lot of people feel like they know you maybe more than they do, or mm-hmm. definitely more I'm than me- they do. I'm actually mega private. <laughs> yeah. All my friends would tell you I'm the most private person they know. But do you have any kind of... I, I bet people email you and obviously tweet you and, and want to talk to you because when you have a connection with a column in that way, do you have to have boundaries with kind of how much you do uh, kind of have to open yourself up to talking to people because I guess when you write a column it's sort of like you're, you're done you, you've said what you wanted to say uh, no it's been it's genuinely an absolute joy and I think I think that's partly because of the kinds of women who read the pool the guardian empire places where I have a platform they tend to be quite grown-up women and they tend to be women with their own lives going on and so When women come up to me in the street, which they do quite a lot, or come up to me at events, um, they tend to be the kinds of women you'd be mates with. Mm, They're really not. They're really not nutters. Like, and so they'll they'll come up and they'll have a chat with you, and they'll say how much something meant to them, or they'll say, or sometimes it'll just be something like, "I used to have acne, now I don't," and they'll burst into tears. Mm. I just see it as a massive privilege. I genuinely do. It's such a lovely, lovely thing. And it sounds so trite to say, but it does make it all worthwhile. When you meet sort of nice people who really appreciated something you wrote and said it mattered to them, that I mean, that's just a lovely thing. Yeah. I could never not like that. That is really lovely. And I'm sure it's the like, reoccurring faces as well that I, over time you actually really yeah, connect you, with. Yeah, at events you do see you do see some of the same women come up um, time and time again. They're, honestly, they're always so nice. Mm. And they're always really um, bright and interesting. And even when they disagree with me, I just think, hmm, I'll come away and maybe have altered my opinion somewhat it no that i mean they're genuine genuinely great yeah i really like meeting them the only weird stuff i get sometimes is um that whenever if i'm really honest with this newsletter i send out it's always like i think professional older men like can't handle really really confident outspoken women sometimes. oh my oh my god i just get the weirdest emails of just like they're almost offended that i'm empowered and happy and 
got a voice. Oh, my God. It's weird. I mean, I could literally do the whole podcast <laughs> on this one subject. But this is the thing. Who are these men? I don't know who they are. I don't meet them. They're not in my life. They're not in the lives of my friends, my girlfriends. Yeah. These weird men, this really strange minority of hatey, angry men. Um, it really scares me because sometimes I'm sat on the tube and I'm like... Who are, are you? you? Who, yeah, was it you? <laughs> they have... Um, I have a few different types. So I have the very um, angry lefty man who thinks he's really right on and then explains feminism to me in a very slow voice and tells me I'm doing it all wrong. And actually, my wife is so beautiful, she doesn't need to wear makeup. I mean, it's brilliant. So there are those men who sort of... And, and they're the ones who tell me, you know... Um, Instead of buying lipstick, I should be inoculating the children of Darfur or whatever it is, as though women can only have one single interest, thought, attention. Yeah. It, it's really bizarre. It's really stupid. What is it called? Like, what about or something? What about yeah, yeah, I only learned that the other day. I'm subjected to a <laughs> great deal of what about So there's those, and then there's just the out and out insane Brexity sort of Trump trolls that come and find me on Twitter and, uh, and scream at me very, very angrily. Um, and, and then I've got a few, I did have a few sort of um, persistent trolls on Twitter who think I don't know exactly who they are, but of course I'm a journalist, I found out in about three minutes. And they, they just sort of go on and on and on. And I can sort of compartmentalise them. It took me a while, but I, do, I honestly don't really think about them. They're just a sort of nuisance and I swap them out of my timeline. It's kind of a shame that you're so used to it that you don't care because I, I get I understand that when you're like oh okay you're one of them like you can categorize it now because you've had yes. so, so many yeah but at the beginning was it would you take a comment like quite hard? There, were, there was one year um, the Guardian asked me I didn't pitch it the Guardian asked me to write a piece they were doing this big collection of first person writing for the Christmas issue the last issue of Weekend Before Christmas and it was about firsts. Each journalist had to write about a first. And they knew that I was spending my first Christmas away from my children, I think because I'd spoken about it on Woman's Hour. And they wanted me to write how that felt because I I was divorced mm-hmm. and it was the first time the kids were going to their dads because we take it in turns. And they asked me to write it and I wrote it. And it came out on the Saturday before Christmas and I dropped off my children at the train station to meet their father and I got back into my car and I was hysterical I was crying I was completely wet face sodden so upset that I dropped my children off nowadays it's obviously much easier I got into the car and the piece had launched and I looked on my phone and there was a man explaining to me over many tweets why I was such a terrible mother and why I was a disgrace and why my children would be damaged by me and why they'd be embarrassed by me and so on and it went on all day from the same person yeah and it it was many and I reported him Twitter did nothing they never do anything and it went on for such a long time and I was so heartbroken by it and it couldn't have been a worse day like I was already really really broken and I think that's the last time I've been really upset by somebody online and that was about five years Mm. ago hasn't really happened to me since I now sort of brush it where I don't feel as personally mm. wounded by things. It also helps to be surrounded by really nice men, this is the thing. I was yeah. brought up by a man. Mm-hmm. My mother left when I was little, so my father brought up and I've got brother, only brothers, no sisters. And so, and I've always had good relationships and so I, I don't, I 
I don't think that those men have anything to do with men. <laughs> do you know no, what I mean? They're yeah. just like their own island of batshit mental trolls. So true. And so I'm able, for the most part, to just kind of to brush them aside. Yeah. I usually find out who they are as well. And, and when you find out who they are, it's so pitiful. You just sort of barely know where to look. And, and that's quite an empowering thing in a way. Yeah. Not that it was okay for him to even say it, but you're already feeling really fragile. Yeah. Some days things can hit you harder than others as well. And it's almost like knowing if you're not feeling so good that day, maybe maybe not to even go on there. I think that's absolutely true. Um, so obviously in much bigger and more significant developments, there was a terrorist attack, as we're recording, there was a terrorist attack in Manchester a couple of days ago, and that would be a day where I would decide to, I might look at it for 20 minutes and then go, do you know what, no, mm -hmm. actually can't face it. No. Actually can't face it. But then there are much, you know, there are really minor things that happen where they just leave me in a space where I can't really be doing mm -hmm. social media. It's difficult, though, because we kind of have to be on it for our work, but the, there are many days where I just think... Yeah, I think it's really good to talk about it because I feel like some, none of us really have the answers. We're all still working it out. What what feels good, what doesn't. What like having to use it for work. You know, I, I'm guessing you. You know, you have so many followers. Could you go off Twitter? You could, of course, but then you have lots of followers on there that want to buy your book. It's like a professional thing it, as well. Um, it's not so much followers and their actions it's that it would matter hugely to book publishers mm -hmm. to editors to yeah. i think it matters to them more than it actually matters in practical terms to be honest mm -hmm. um but following is important to the people who employ you yeah even though you you often think actually that's that's not really it it's not as powerful as you think but i do i i do take sort of quite frequent breaks i know lots of people think well i have to instagram four times a day at these peak hours days will go by where i won't instagram mm -hmm. and i know it costs me because the moment i start up again i get loads of new followers and i know it costs me many thousands of followers by not doing it enough but some days i just can't be asked yeah, you don't we're meant you know nothing what's the quote about if something costs you your peace it's not worth it yeah and i do think at some point in the future we will have a name for the form of temporary madness social media inflicts on you because some days you do feel properly mad yeah. and you have to walk away from it it makes you feel um, it makes you feel very peculiar it, it's a thing that's very unique to social media and, and language hasn't caught up fast enough yeah, I don't think. So true. well thank you so much just my final question is um, so we're kind of halfway through the year I guess I was wondering what else what are you looking forward to for the rest of the year? Can be anything. Can be mm. professional, can be like a holiday you've got coming up. I am going to Glastonbury oh, in a couple of weeks. Um, Catelyn and I and our friend John Niven are going to Glastonbury together. Um, so that would be Have you been before? Nice. Yes. I've not, never been. But not in my dotage, I have to say, <laughs> only when I was really young. Um, so I'm looking forward to that and then um, I've got a really amazing summer. Then I've got Pride at the beginning of August in Brighton. Pet Shop Boys are headlining one of my all-time favourite bands. Amazing. Very excited about that. Then I've got my hen weekend. Then I get married. Oh, my God, of course. So that's yeah. this year. That's so in October. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's so So I've got a really great few months i've got a big thing every month which is quite unusual for me because i'm quite lazy i like to sit on my sofa yeah. and eat curry oh what an amazing end of the year that's gonna yeah. be i have so many more questions but i don't want to be too lazy you just said you were private so <laughs> um thank you so much for coming on oh you're completely welcome thank you